I'll be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live in the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you do not want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, caressing, and things of the like. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, it's not all that uh, encouraging uh, to a preacher to know that you're already playing second fiddle to a four-year announcement. Um, Such is life. There are, um, there are two basic different approaches uh, to preaching. Uh, one is you start with a text. You try to figure out what the text says. And then you apply it to your particular situation. Uh, this is the approach I've used uh, most of my uh, life and career. It's always seemed safer. Um, if you start with the text and somebody doesn't like what you say, you can always say, take it up with God. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't write them, I just read them. Um, uh, the other approach is you start with a question. You start with a problem. You start with life. And then you go and you search the Bible and see if the text has anything to, see, to say into that uh, particular situation. So um, today, in a kind of one-off uh, sermon, uh, I've decided to abandon my start with the text approach and instead start with a question. And then we'll see if the text that we just read has anything to say to it. Um, so I first of all have to get you to feel the weight of uh, the question, uh, which I'm going to uh, try to do. My question is this. Does church matter? Does church make any difference at all? And how would you measure it? How, how would you know if it makes any difference? Uh, now, we could divide this question into, into several different parts, I suppose. Uh, we, we could think about, okay, um, um, is a church growing? We would know how to measure that. We would count. 
and we might even have ways to measure the question, okay, does the, is the church making any difference to the world out there? We might, we might sort of account for the good things that we do, in, including providing those meals uh, that we heard about. Uh, but the question I'm preoccupied today with is, does church make any difference to the members, the people who come? Does, does church matter to them? Does it, does it make any difference? And there are times when this question has gotten very kind of personal for me at another level where, you know, not too long ago I was out visiting a former student whose life's coming unraveled and, and I said, okay, did, did anything I do make any difference? I've done this for a long time. Did, did any of it matter at all? What difference did any of it make? Um, some of you may uh, remember a few years ago, uh, Andy Crouch was here, and uh, it's an interesting guy. I got to have lunch with him and a couple of other guys while he was here, and I wanted to talk about one thing, but it turns out he wanted to talk about something else, and he won. And, uh, and one, one of the things that stuck with me from that conversation, even though he's done lots of things since, was his description of his um, 10 years as campus minister at Harvard. Uh, by the way, I'll let you catch up. That's a relatively hard job. Okay, that, uh, yeah, peace in the Middle East would be easier than uh, campus minister at Harvard. And I was sort of talking about some of my, my own work and my frustration with it, and Andy said, for the 10 years that we worked at Harvard, what we have to show for it are two or three people who are doing amazing things in the kingdom of God who wouldn't have been doing them otherwise. And for, first of all, it's humbling to think that way. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, that's what I'm after. What is it that people are doing because of their experience of church that they wouldn't have been doing anyway? You know, if kind people come to church and after 10 years they're still kind, I, I don't know, maybe I should be impressed, but I'm not. I guess I'm depressed if they came in kind and leave mean. Uh, <laughs> somebody comes in mean and they're 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 mean but if 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 people are just sort of sort of you know being what they were then my my question is uh why does that matter okay that was my question now i've arrived at my text um you know Several of you have parts of this text memorized. You probably have the fruit of the Spirit memorized, although you can't always get them in the right order. Um, hopefully, none of you have the works of the flesh uh, memorized. Uh, uh, I noticed Lucas didn't know how to pronounce one, and I felt good about it. 
<laughs> that boy doesn't know what carousing is. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's just my impression. But the list don't really match. You know, you have these, these works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and... You know, it says the fruit of the Spirit in, is in contrast, but the contrast isn't just a different list. It just seems different. The fruit of the Spirit seem like they're deeper. They're more attitudinal. It's not just a series of actions. It's this, it's this deep sort of reservoir of goodness that's created in us. Now, I am a Bible study wonk and old habits die hard. So there is a notoriously difficult translation problem here. Uh, Paul is clearly making a contrast. He's contrasting life in the spirit and life in the flesh. And it's that flesh that's the hard translation problem. the word there is sarks, it's flesh. But when I say flesh, you may hear body, and that wouldn't be right. It's not skin, it's not body that's the problem. Because Paul believes in Genesis 1, and God created human beings, and he looked at them and said, that's good. And Paul believes that. There's nothing evil about embodiment. That's not the problem. Uh, That's what led the NIV to uh, translate that word flesh with the term sinful nature. Uh, And I'm not crazy about that either because that carries with it all sorts of implications of some sort of original sin that I might not necessarily hold. So... Um, But I get the idea, the contrast for Paul is these two ways that are battling in you. And one is pushing you towards these evil actions and the other is pulling you towards these basic attitudes. Um, Now I have to, you know, be careful here that I don't don't wind up in in a cartoon. Uh, where you have a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder. Um, um, It's not quite that. It's more internal than that. But it is these, these two impulses that are battling in us, and Paul is writing to Christians, and it's battling in them. And there's also this stuff in there about the law, which makes the list different because somehow this fruit of the Spirit is not really about a series of do's and don'ts. Now, there is a series of don'ts here. Don't do this stuff, and people who do this stuff don't go into the kingdom of God. But the other side is live by the Spirit. Be guided by the Spirit. 
And you don't have to look very hard to see that Paul believes that the formation of this life defined by these fruit is primarily a work of God. It's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is what produces this fruit. And if that's true, then we ask a different sort of question. Uh, The question is not, how do I become kind? The question is, how do I yield to the spirit that will produce kindness in me? And those are different questions. And so it all becomes about, how do you make yourself available to the spirit who is then going to produce this kind of work in you? Uh, Richard Foster has described this with the wonderful term active passivity. It's passive in the sense that God's going to do the heavy lifting. He's going to do the work. It's active in the sense that you have to make yourself available to the Spirit's movement. Um, so uh, back, in my, back in my teaching life, and uh, this is one of the parts of it I don't miss. Uh, occasionally, uh, I would have a student engage in a piece of uh, academic dishonesty. Cheating, uh, for those of you from my home state of Arkansas, to put it bluntly. And uh, the easiest thing to do is always to look the other way because if you don't, it's going to get complicated. Uh, but I think I can safely say in my career, I never let one go. And it's not because I'm mean. Uh, the one that sticks most in my mind is I, I had two guys who had clearly engaged in this little... Uh, uh, in this little scam, and uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's it, you know, it, it wasn't like X murdering a baby. Um, you know, it, was, it, 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 it wasn't even really good cheating. Um, it, was, it was sort of stupid cheating. And so, uh, I send him a note saying, "Okay, I need to see you." in my office right away. And I put both of their names on the email so they can see that they're both getting it. And I send it late on a Friday afternoon so I know they won't be able to find me. So I know they're gonna have Friday afternoon and Saturday and Sunday to think about it. And that they'll know I know. It's not because I'm mean. Maybe a little, okay. And so they're going to come in, we're going to have this conversation. And I'm going to tell something to them that they don't really understand. I know you don't think this matters. And the world's not going to end and it doesn't matter much. But every time you yield to the sinful nature, it gets easier to yield to the sinful nature. That's why we're having this conversation. And every time you yield to the Holy Spirit, it becomes easier 
to yield to the Holy Spirit. And yielding to the Holy Spirit is largely about habit. It's about getting in the habit of letting the Spirit have its way. And pretty soon the sinful nature begins to recede and its voice backs away. And in ways that you could not have imagined, you're kind. And the kind of kindness you experience, you know you didn't do. Because you know yourself. Um, One way to measure how the church came through COVID is not just to count. That's one way. But another way is this. To say, are we more loving? Are we more joyful? Are we more peaceful? Are we more patient? Are we kinder, more generous, more faithful and gentle, and more self-controlled? Then we will know that through the pandemic, we were led by the Spirit. Um, I, I had a friend uh, years ago, uh, actually I've had two, but I'll tell you about one. I, I've had more than two friends, okay. <laughs> I've, I've had two friends like this, okay. Um, I, I, I had a friend who had dissociative disorder. And uh, this is the language we use now for what we used to describe as multiple personality disorder. And um, most people's idea about what multiple personality disorder or dissociative disorder is come from horror movies. Where you have this person who has these two personalities and they're not aware that they have one who's probably some rampaging killer. Those are bad movies that you know kind of stigmatize this whole group of people. Um, people with a dissociative disorder are usually great survivors. They're generally people who've been abused early in life and in order to survive have had to split parts of themselves off to protect themselves from their abuser. Great survivors. And uh, my particular friend was co-conscious. And uh, that means this friend was fully aware of all of the different parts that uh, were there. It's, it, it's not like they would wake up and, and discover that this personality had done this. And as we were trying to get deeper um, acquainted, um, I would ask, uh, there are a number of these uh, personalities, I, I would ask each of the personalities to come forward 
in turn so I could talk directly to them, try to get to know all these different parts of this person. And uh, if, you're, if you're wondering, it, it's as awkward as it sounds. Um, but I felt like I came to a deep understanding and it gives me the image I want to leave with you. Paul says you have two. You have the sinful nature and you have the spirit. And those two don't get along in you. And what I want to encourage you towards is this discipline, the discipline of a three-word prayer, come, Holy Spirit. And it's not like the Holy Spirit isn't there and then just shows up when you ask it to come. It's like when I ask that person to, to bring a certain personality forward, it's like you saying, okay, Spirit, come. In this moment, come, Holy Spirit. Because I want what happens in the next moment to be fruit of the Spirit and not an act of the sinful nature. And come Holy Spirit becomes a way of life. Every time we're going to get in a situation where we're going to have choices to make that are going to be tense, we can always utter this prayer in the moment, come Holy Spirit. And as we get in the habit of yielding to the Spirit, we look up in 10 years and it turns out that church makes a great deal of difference because we've become a person that we could never have dreamed of being, that we could not have created on our own, but by making ourselves available to the power of God, it happened. Come. Holy Spirit.